Hey, TBT, it's Kate here. And this episode is going to be a little bit different than what we've done before. Um, I feel like I've been saying that a lot lately, but trying new things over here. This was a money chat that I did on Instagram. So the recording you're going to hear is me, but this is a very interactive episode where I'm answering questions for people that have been sent in before and also live on that on that chat. If you prefer video, you can go to at Travel Pro Theory on Instagram. Check it out. Otherwise, keep on listening. This was... Um, kind of about money, not kind of about money. It was about money (laughs) in your business, specifically like knowing when to spend, when to save, and kind of how to approach those things as you get going in your business and as as you grow, how that, that strategy changes over time. So I think that's enough explanation on that. Let's get into it, enjoy. Hey everyone, sorry I'm a few minutes late. I just got off a call with a fellow operator who is a good friend of mine. So we were talking about um, systems and actually stuff to invest on that I'm looking at investing on in my end, in my business, and he's a user. So I'm trying to just get my phone set up real quick. There we go. Hey, hey, hey. Hey everyone. Okay. Let me get another book to prop this up a little bit. And then we'll go and get started. I've got notes. So everyone who's sending questions, I've got you guys. I've written it down. So we're going to talk about math, money, when to spend, when to splurge. Hey, hey, hey. And kind of like going through this, obviously like personal decision, but sort of like how do you make those decisions? when does it make sense, and a strategy around all of that. If I'm breathing too heavy, I'm sorry. I'm mega prego. <laughs> and uh, that's just my life now. That is just my life now. All right, so I'm going to open up my notes, and then we're just going to dive straight on in. And if you guys have questions along the way, drop them in the comments. And I've got you covered. All right. Now, so when you're starting out, not even when you're starting out, the whole way through, you know, as you as you go through each year, oh yay, I'm glad you're looking forward to it. Me too. Um, y'all, you know it's getting serious. Putting my hair up, going for the bun. It's not cute, but this is how I get work done. Um you know, making the decisions on when to spend money, when to bootstrap it, when to do it yourself, it can be tough. And that changes as you grow in your business, right? As your revenue changes, as um, all of that. Let me turn my brightness up a little bit. There we go. So in general, you've got kind of three Three to four options if we're if we're looking at that as far as spending versus bootstrapping it and when it comes to anything in your business, right? The first level is fully DIYing, which is obviously the highest time spend. Um, it's also 
you know, you have to do it all. That means like fully do it yourself. You're going to educate yourself. You're going to go to YouTube. You're going to go through Google. You're going to read all the resources. You're going to trial and error it. And you're going to do it on your own, right? So fully DIY, that's an option. And then another option of that, there's the middle ground I would kind of put into sort of like, I guess we can lump it all together, right, into one option. There's sort of a middle ground of where you pay a slower amount, but it's it's to shortcut, it's to save you time, educate you in some way. So this could be stuff like a course, it could be prompts or a content calendar, things like that, like if you're thinking social media, um, templates, anything like that. Um, software solutions also. So let's say you pay for um, like an Instagram scheduler instead of doing it yourself, right? So that's there's a middle ground area there. And then there's top tier, which is, and I would even also put in that middle ground hiring like a any one-off spends, right? Like hiring a strategist to help you set something up. So maybe you hire someone to um, set up your ClickUp, right? Or whatever your project management system is after a consultation. Or you hire someone to research hashtags, things like that, where it's one-off, it's saving you time, it's in that middle ground, but ultimately you're still carrying on doing the work of it yourself. And then there's that top tier where it's premium price tag done for you. You're paying someone to do it all. It does still require time from you because you are the visionary, the CEO of your business. So you got to make it work for you and know your business. Um, but it's sort of those three tiers, right? So that's where the decision making comes into play. When it comes to each thing that you want or need in your business at different points along the way, are you fully DIYing it? Are you doing some sort of middle ground? Or are you fully outsourcing? And where does that make sense along the way? So just kind of starting right there. I'm gonna just take a second here and take a deep breath and a big chug of water. <laughs> So the thing is, all of those options, they are going to require that you know your business inside and out, that you know it really well, um, that you know your ideal client, your target market, things like that, where they hang out, what your budget is, what your overall strategy is, what your goals are. You have to know your business. So even if you're fully DIYing it yourself or if you are paying a premium price tag and fully outsourcing it, Ultimately, you are the person who has to give that person the information, like that expert, the information about your business. So you have to just know everything about it in and out. So all that to say, you can't spend money to shortcut that knowledge. So that's always where I would start. That's where I default to. And I'll go through some steps of how I like think is an easy way to prioritize this and develop a strategy around it that works for you. But you can't shortcut the work of that, of knowing your business really well, right? All right, so 
first, I'm trying to decide if I want to go through the questions. Yeah, I'll go through everyone's questions, like the questions and topics submitted first, and then I'll cover like the kind of steps of a strategy, right? Does that sound good for everyone? And then obviously if you have questions along the way, just shout them out. And by shout them out, I mean type them in that, in that comment bar here on the gram. All right. So... One question I got uh, was from Oasis. Oasis, yeah, perfect. All right, Oasis, I'm doing yours first. Um, so you'd asked, you know, how much to spend upfront on certifications, software, monthly subscriptions, and also uh, that you'd love to hear the mistakes made by others when they started, what you would do differently, what they thought mattered at the time but didn't pan out to be worth the money and effort later. That's a great question. Okay. So to address the first part, how much to spend upfront on certifications and software and subscriptions? It, it will depend on like if you're starting, if you have, if you're, if you're starting your business with money saved up, you know, obviously that gives you more leeway. I'm going to answer this assuming like you need to keep costs down. If you're like me, when I started my business, I had nada. Not like nothing, <laughs> right? So I needed to save as much as possible in every possible place all along the way. Um, the upside of our industry is that you don't have to have certifications. Um, they often mean more to us here in the industry than they mean to clients. I think certifications are great and worthwhile but if you are starting and you have no extra dollars to spend, personally, I don't think that that's something you have to invest in immediately, to be totally honest. Software, I would say, again, this is a place where you could save a lot. I think this is somewhere where a lot, a lot, a lot of people have what I refer to as money leaks, where they're paying for all these services that they're not fully utilizing and it's just costing them money. Um, so I think software you can keep down as much as possible. And actually I had written out what like things that I pay for each month. Let me get my notes on that. But I think at the bare minimum when you're starting pay, what's worth paying for is uh, a domain name so that in a professional email, I, I think G Suite, $6 a month, super easy way to look very professional in your business so that it's your name at domain versus, uh, you know, travel at Gmail kind of thing. So that at the bare minimum, um, a website is usually a good idea. There's very cheap ways to do that. Even just a landing page, you can live without it though at the beginning. Um, everything else, you can use the free versions. There's free versions of Canva, which is great for graphics, Instagram, Facebook are free. Um, you know, uh, as far as email goes, there's free versions of MailChimp, of MailerLite. MailerLite's what I use. There's free versions of that that are very, very robust, um, and you don't have to pay for it right away. 
So that's what I would say. I would say you could do that. Let me look through. Yeah, Debbie, so many free versions and utilize supplier trading. Absolutely. Absolutely. Splurge on Travify during their Black Friday deal. I think Travify is worth it. So again, that's sort of a, if you have the budget for it, 100%. But if you're start, let's say you were starting tomorrow and you had $0 in your pocket, can you live without it? Sure can. Travify didn't even exist when I started. Everyone just sent Word docs and PDFs and it's all good, right? Yes, Debbie, cheap CRMs as well. Absolutely. Um, if you use Gmail, um, I recommend Streak for Gmail. There's, they have a free version and a paid version. I use the free version still, and it's a great way to keep organized. You can schedule emails. You can track a pipeline. So you can have a pretty basic CRM that lives right in your inbox for free. Uh, Travify will be a CRM soon, I believe. Yes, Debbie, I think so. I think so. They have been adding, they haven't rolled out everything. I did a, I'm a, I'm a part of Travify's um, Trailblazer program, which is like their beta. So I get to see features before it gets rolled out to everyone. And I had a call with them hmm, this summer, I think. I don't know. It's 2020. Does it mean anything? <laughs> when, when was this? I don't know. Spring, summer. And they demoed some cool stuff. Now they have, they've rolled out some of it, forms and the website builder. Um, but they had some other things that were a little more in that CRM vein that they haven't rolled out that they're, I'm assuming, perfecting. Oasis, yeah, I use the website website feature from Travify as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And to answer, just talking about, again, like so many people think, oh, to get started, I have to have pay for all the things. Let me tell you what I pay for yearly, monthly in terms of like software um, stuff. And I'm year I've been in business seven years well, over seven years now so I'm, I'm into year eight Janine says some hosts have a CRM for you to use too yes actually and I would put that in the uh upfront cost uh is your host cost too host fees because that makes the most sense for most advisors starting out uh is to be hosted because that's going to cover your legal and insurance costs as well Whereas if you're fully independent and get your own IATA, um, there's a lot more upfront cost with that. But for me, I pay for I pay for Travify. I pay for that on a yearly basis. I pay for ClickUp, which is project management. It's super cheap. It's 35 bucks for a year. Um, and they run sales all the time. Like I'm pretty sure that's why it's so cheap. I bought it on like a Black Friday like a year ago or something. I do pay for the pro version of Canva. That's 13-ish bucks a month. To me, it's worth it because it saves um, color palettes and fonts. And so I'm using it, my one account for North and Leisure and TPT and other collaborations I'm a part of. So I have like multiple color palettes and things saved on there. Makes it real easy. 
Um, other month, well, monthly slash yearly costs. I also, another way I save is if I know for sure I love something, like Travify, for example, um, I will, I'll pay the yearly plan because it's typically cheaper than a monthly, month to month. But that depends on your cash flow switch. And if you already know you like it, you know what I mean? If I'm trying something for the first time, I'm only gonna do monthly. Um, yeah, other software stuff, let's see. I mean, Google, you know, G Suite, all of that. Um, that's really it. I have a, I have a yearly subscription to Tailwind um, that I paid 120 bucks for. I don't fully utilize it. So that's something I could easily cut. And that's it, guys. So like, um, and I added it up so that I can like share with y'all. If you take my yearly must-have expenses, Brain FM, yes, absolutely Brain FM. Yes. If you guys don't know what Brain FM is, it's an app. It is binaural beats underneath white noise. And if you struggle with focusing, that's where it's at. You, it has like three options. You could do a focus channel and that's like all the different set, like big beach or rain or what have you. They have a meditation and then they have sleep. I use the sleep one like when I'm, when I'm on the road. Sometimes I just can't settle like moving every night and in a new bed, you know, that kind of thing. That's amazing. Brain FM is definitely in that list. I only spend like after, like again, I'm in, I'm in year eight now into year eight of my business, I spend roughly uh, $5,500 a year on expenses of things that are like non-negotiables to me. And even some of those are <laughs> could definitely go up. It is mostly not subscriptions and software. The bulk of that cost is insurance, business insurance, um, my accountant, which is a very valuable worthwhile spend for me and uh things like like seller travel um stuff like that and my llc costs things that like most advisors actually don't have to think about too much if you're hosted yeah all right janine says free business cards from vistaprint yep i don't even i don't even do business cards uh i only have them printed for um when I do a conference over in Ireland, because then everyone, you know, we all hand them out, but otherwise I don't use them. Rita, I have all my big costs coming up. Yep. Yeah, that hits me too every January. Yeah, all the big stuff um, with licenses, LLC, insurance. Uh, Go Experience asked, you don't use Flowdesk or something like that for leads. I use MailerLite for my email service provider. They have a free plan. I use Dubsado for lead capture slash CRM. Dubsado, I don't pay for any longer. I bought a lifetime plan of Dubsado early on, um, early on for them. I think it was like three, four, <laughs> actually, it may have been in like 2016, I think, when I bought that. And I paid, uh, I want to say like 700-ish dollars um, total for a lifetime. I'm a huge fan of lifetime licenses. Uh, 
Um, I bought this year, I bought a lifetime license of Thrivecart. Probably not applicable for most advisors. That would be something I'd use more here on Travel Pro Theory or if you're selling like digital product kind of thing. Uh, I bought a lifetime version of a service called Publer, P-U-B-L-E-R. Uh, it is a social media scheduler. And then, um, yeah, those are the ones I mean ones I bought this year. If I see something that like looks pretty good and they offer a lifetime deal, I generally jump on it because you're going to save a ton of money over time. Valerie, thank you. I can never remember everyone's name, so I go by, I just go by their handle. Travel Joy. So I don't personally use Travel Joy. That's what um, Dubsado serves that role for me. Um, Heather uses Travel Joy, and most people in the travel world I know use Travel Joy. Um, it's definitely a worth, I think it's a worthwhile investment as a CRM. If you're just, again, if you're just starting and you don't have the capital for that, can you live without it? Yeah, you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. But it will save you a lot of time if you can swing it. I'm not sure what they cost. I think it's fairly, fairly cheap. Let me look that up real quick. Let's see, let's see. Yeah, it's 30 bucks a month. I would say yes, it's absolutely worth it. I would go ahead and sign up for that. Because you could do lead captures, you could save your email templates, and you can collect um, planning fees. So, um, Janine asked, do you recommend joining SVA? I'm not a part of it. Uh, I, I, I let everyone else on here say uh, advisors if you're a part of it and if that makes sense uh, for me as a supplier I didn't like I I'm not I have not joined it Debbie says if you're just starting save those templates yes yes so whether you are in full-on bootstrap DIY mode or paying and fully outsourcing save your email templates anything that you are writing again and again and again save it um, you can save templates in uh, Gmail, you can save templates in Outlook, Streak, which I mentioned, it's that you can use in Gmail, you could save stuff in there, you could drop it in a Word doc, in a Google doc, always save. Debbie, chamber member here, but it's not expensive here. Yeah. See, I'm not really, I think it depends on, it just depends on what you want to get out of it. Um... Travel Mechanic says our agents, our, our agents on our team all get an account. It's critical. Yeah, is that for Travel Joy? I think if you're work, like if you have um, people under you, ICs, like at that point you're not just starting. Um, yeah, you definitely need to have a system. Email processes, itineraries, templates. Yes. So thirty bucks a month. That's pretty darn cheap. So, yeah. Totally worth it. All right. Let me go back to my questions list. Um, so Oasis, I also asked, you know, wanting to hear about mistakes made by others when they started. If anyone wants to share theirs, you could drop it in. Uh, what they would do differently, what they thought mattered at the time, and what didn't pan out to be worth the money and effort later. So I have a lot of these. <laughs> 
because there's a learning curve. Um, when I first started, I hired, one of my big spends was I hired a web designer. I spent three grand. Um, it wasn't great. And then a year later, I discovered Squarespace and just never looked back. Um, granted, I didn't know what I was doing. Danielle, thank you. Um, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I was looking for. I didn't know how to fi find someone. Uh, so, like, the error of that spend was on me. But yeah, that was one. I tried a direct mail campaign. I spent like 800 bucks on that. That was totally worthless. And in hindsight, it was just like me spinning my own wheels, not wanting to do what I really needed to do, which was get out and meet with people face to face, which is ultimately how I grew my business. Um, I didn't spend a ton on subscriptions uh, early on. Yeah, I would say like money wise, those were my early days, big spends that just didn't, weren't worth it. Um, I used to spend more on things too that like, there's better solutions for now, like it used to cost me a lot in bank fees to wire money since I'm a supplier. Wiring money to my guides for payment um, was a major pain in the ass, but now there's TransferWise and it's cheap and it's easy. Uh, or, and most of them use PayPal now too. So it's like that whole side of things have gotten a lot easier. Um, all right, let me see. Let's see everyone. We're getting some good comments in here. Janine said, not getting a mentor. Yeah. Yep. I hear you on that. I was definitely like living on an island in my early days. Um, ooh, Debbie taking all requests. Yeah. It's never worth it. That is never worth it. Uh, Becky says, if anyone needs a brand specialist slash web designer, um, her friend at Studio Array is fabulous. There you go. Janine, not sticking to my niche. Yep, that will, that costs money. That gets expensive. Rita said, I fought networking so hard, now I'm loving it. Yeah, yeah, me too, right? That's what's hard, like, introvert problems, you know? Debbie said, don't let scarcity and FOMO force you into taking everything unless you want to learn that specialty or niche. Set your boundaries. 100% yes. 100% yes. We'll, we'll touch on that some more. I have like kind of the steps that I would go through to establish priorities and a strategy around this. But yeah, it's got to be the things that you take in your business or or pay for, right? So whether you are investing money in something or investing time, we have to be really clear on what is that ROI. Is it making you money? Is it hitting your other goal? Is it saving you time? Is it hitting your other goals in some way? Like you want to move towards another niche, then you're gonna take on more requests for that. And as you grow and build, then you can get like pickier and more discerning in that, in that field. So absolutely, so hard. I know, boundaries. 
I feel like boundaries is that, uh, for me, it's like the universal lesson that like, I literally get slapped in the face with several times a year. <laughs> like, it is a recurring pattern <laughs> for me. Um, in my business, it is a recurring pattern in my personal life. Boundaries, boundaries, more boundaries. All right. Uh, so other questions. So Caitlin had asked about logistics on outsourcing. She's like, I know you hear me on this, letting go of control. Yes, I do hear you. Delegate without micromanaging and how exactly, give them passwords for Travify, for commission spreadsheets. I don't know where to start. Yeah. So what's difficult on this? So let's say you're trying to bring in help, right? Oh, Danielle, I feel you. Your husband gave you a pep talk on setting boundaries. Yeah, my husband, Nick, has to remind me all the time, all the time. Um, so logistics on outsourcing, yeah, letting go of control is a big part of it. I, Caitlin, I hear you on this because this kid's got problems with control. <laughs> I like things the way I like them. And the reality is when you're bringing someone on, whether that is to do something in that middle ground space, right? Maybe you're hiring them to set something up or a one-off type situation, or you're bringing in and fully hiring and outsourcing, you have to let go to, of control to some degree. Now that said, you know, you want things the way you want them, that means you just have to do more groundwork and be prepared and have an established process in place to pass on to someone else. Unless, of course, if you're hiring someone to come and be uh, the expert in something, then, you know, you're, you're kind of more taking their advice on how to set something up and guide you in that process. Uh, but if you're bringing in someone to just implement, um, you have to have clear procedures and operations in place. For me, that looks like, so when I had an employee, um, that looked like um, I would do videos. Um, I, I record everything. So I record myself doing it, talking them through it. And then I had, um, I kept everything for her in ClickUp. Uh, which was my project management. And so I had different folders where it would be like intro to Travify and the basics of showing around, how to create an itinerary so that they could find and reference videos of me going through. The other part of that is you have to work in um, feedback, right? Create feedback loops. You have to constantly, it can be, especially when you first start, it can be uncomfortable to, I don't want to say critique someone's work, but essentially, yeah. I mean, if they're, if what, if what they're doing isn't meeting expectations, you have to, and it won't at first, no one's going to step in and do things exactly the way you're going to do them. It's going to take them longer and they don't have your brain in their head. So you have to show them that. And so it's a lot more time consuming actually to get someone to do like bringing in help than most people realize until they get into it. But 
as you start going, my that's my main tip there is feedback loop. Everything they do for a while, feedback, good and bad. Hey, this looks great. Just so you know, we don't do it this way because X, Y, Z. Um, so that's what I was doing with my employee. And um, for the task I was giving her, she got a lot better, a lot faster. In Heinz, in retrospect, um, I would have sped up the process. I would have given more responsibility faster and just like really not been so cautious. Part of that is a control thing. Um, delegating without micromanaging is, it's just finding that balancing act and kind of knowing yourself and finding your rhythm as a boss. Um, you know, for me, there's certain, certain things like I just truly do not give a shit about. So like if someone says like when, again, I'll use my former employee as an example. If she was like, Hey, is it okay if I take these days off? You know, my, I was going to visit family, whatever. Fine. Cool. I don't care. I don't care when it gets done, if it gets done. So that kind of thing is easy for me to let go. Um, where I am like more uptight, I would say, is is it done, like is the work getting done the way I want it to, and are and communication, right? I don't like it if I am paying you to implement something and you're not communicating well. So those things I was a little more micromanaging about, but I would try to. Um, Again, just finding that balance and remind, you have to just remember that like that's part of training, that's part of teaching, and again, it's that feedback loop. So it's not necessarily micromanaging. It's like I would give them a task, I would fully trust that I trained her to do, fully trust her to do it. Now, if it came back and not everything was like what it needed to be, then we'd hit that feedback loop where it was like, and I always like fully explain um, why. So we, I never would just go back and be like, hey, no, that's not right. No, we would go through like, this is why this, this is why this, so that you're training them to think like you do, right? So that's more so for long-term outsourcing employee type thing. Um, getting them passwords, there's services for that, LastPass, is a popular one. Oh, there was some other one I used to use back in the day. Common key. That's another one you can use where it will share login information without them seeing your password. Um, and then the rest of that's just building trust. Um, I've definitely like just shared passwords with people that I'm hiring and have not had a problem. You can also, um, protect yourself in terms of a contract when you bring them on, right? So if someone, for me, if they're gonna be involved in my rates, uh, like my net rate contracts, I have them sign an NDA, because I'm not supposed to share those. Now, to most people who see them, they are meaningless, uh, but I still cover my bases, cover my bases there. All right, so on with the questions. Happy place travel. Um, Christy, 
I want to buy all the trainings. Make me stop. <laughs> uh, okay, so I feel you. I definitely go through phases where I'm like, I buy everything as far as like trainings are concerned. And then phases where I'm like, nope, I don't have the mental space to take this in. It's fine to keep buying trainings if you are doing them and you are implementing them. That's the key, right? If you're stacking up a bunch and then you never go look at them or uh, you maybe watch but you don't implement, that's when you gotta, yeah, Danielle, Rita, yep. No, I would like, if you have stuff that you haven't finished, put a pause on buying, unless something pops up that like is an absolute must, put a pause on it and go back and finish it, right? Debbie, no, we and Debbie just talked about this. We were both a part of a program, uh, Magnetic Coach, which is like a big, uh, a, it was a high dollar investment this year. And I have not finished my certification. I will not be making another big dollar investment in something in that vein until I finish it. So make sure that you take the, yeah, you were a collector. Yeah, don't be a collector. Because here's the thing too, training is best for most things that you're gonna get training for. Like some stuff's evergreen for sure, but a lot of stuff, the training is most valuable at the time that you buy it. If it's like a live training or let's say anything that's timely. Do you know what I mean? It's like if you take um, a class on Instagram Reels, right? That's a newer feature. Well, you don't want to sit on that for six months because that feature may change in the next six months. So you got to implement. If you're implementing, then if, you, if you're implementing and you still have a budget, you're good to go. All right, Valerie asked, did you attend Asta's Global Convention when you were just starting out? Is something like that worth the investment for networking? Okay. Interesting question because as a supplier, Asta is a different price point, right? I did invest in Asta. I was a member of Asta for like a year or two early on. To me, as a supplier, it was there was not the ROI there, and what the one of the reasons I'm like pausing because I like hesitant to say it, um, but whatever, fuck it, we're just gonna say it, right? Um, no, I don't think it's worth it for me. It wasn't worth it for me at the beginning. I think as an advisor, it's probably much more worthwhile. It's a very different price point. And they do a lot of good work. I, I absolutely believe in the work that ASTA does for our industry as a whole. Um, you know, lobbying for like laws and things that support our industry. I want to support them. I've had this conversation, this, this is not a secret to them. I've had this conversation with them. Um, the reason I'm not a member now is because sometimes they still come out with articles or statements that are really unsupportive for to suppliers. And to me, if you're willing to charge a supplier the amount that they charge them to be a member and then simultaneously not really support the supplier community, 
That's, is that a circle I need to be in? No, that's the answer for me. As an advisor, I would feel a lot differently. They're a lot more advisor focused. That's definitely who they're representing. Um, so yeah, that's my feelings on that, truthfully. Uh, Rita said, I've been in the biz 10 years. Last year was my first Ask the Global Live. How'd you like it? I, I've never done their event. Um, Danielle said, I'm actually doing this so far. Oh yeah, for the courses. Yeah, good. That's good. As long as you keep doing them. Because I'll find myself, like if I, if I know I have some things sitting around, just have to remind myself not to have shiny object syndrome that it's not doing me any good if I don't implement and I'll take it take it down a notch on the buying new stuff yeah you're welcome I don't mind sharing about it that's just my personal experience I'm also like you know I'm a little curmudgeon-y <laughs> to be honest so uh, most of the people here, I won't get into a tangent, but most of the people here have heard me like go on and on and on and on about, uh, there seems to be a different set of rules in the industry for the supplier where things cost more, but then the people that are taking our checks are very happy to like shit on us. So, you know, I, I'm just not totally here for it. Um, Rita said, I enjoyed it. I did this year because of the need of the emotional boost of the travel industry absolutely wouldn't do it again maybe but not every year that's good to know that's good feedback as an advisor that's really good feedback um linden i think linden's on here i had answered this one in stories uh but linden is a fellow operator and she had asked of suppliers you know how how important how sorry she'd asked of advisors how important is it for your suppliers to have the logo of Virtuoso after a year of no income? That's not something we can justify money towards. And the vast majority, I had a poll up for that. The vast majority of you said it was, was kind of tied between the first two options, which were, I don't care about consortia. I just want the right supplier. And then the next of uh, that was um, preferred consortia, but I will work outside of consortia and then very few people said that they need that to be very few advisors said that um you know that was like a must rita had asked about developing a strategy what needs to be included yes i'm going to come back to that one because i've got a a little list going here um go wander travel had said i get overwhelmed prioritizing where to spend because there's so many choices. It's like I want all the things, yeah. But my wallet and bank account say otherwise. This is especially true when it comes to training and workflow related processes. But I also know it's important to invest, spend money to make money. So a strategy for this would be helpful. Yeah, so I'll go through the strategy steps here in just a second. Um, but wanting all the things, shiny object syndrome, you know, that's common. <laughs> That's common. Um, I would say you always have to, well, I think it'll make more sense when I actually get into the uh, strategy side of it. But kind of since we already talked about training, if, you, if it's something that you're going to implement, 
yes if it's not you know put it on hold uh tapas in spain had asked about deciding how much is sensible to take out as a loan for startup costs for new biz if necessary okay this is a super personal decision right um and it depends on how much money you have starting out how much you need to start out and how quickly you can get sales so i'll tell you my personal story when i started out on my own i didn't have savings of my own i just like started um i think it was in by the end of year one i was into year two i took a twenty thousand dollar loan and um i knew what that would go for i spent it primarily on trade events, which as a supplier are very high dollars. So about half of that went towards trade events, which costs five to 10,000, uh, depending on how much the event itself, collateral that you take, travel costs, all of that. Um, the first one I did was in Las Vegas. I think it was like 8,000 all in. Rita, OMG, yeah. Yeah, um, but it paid off. Um, I went to that event. There was literally hundreds and hundreds of advisors. I was there, you know, as a supplier, I was exhibiting, um, did not know fully what I was getting myself into. And did I like leave there with a million clients? Nope. But I had a small handful. I'm trying to think now. Um, it was really like two, two to three key people that sent me enough business that more than paid that back. Um, one agency that still works with me today um, and sends me business every year was from that show. So it more than paid off its ROI. So that was about like where a lot of that went and then the rest was um, just like wanting, needing money to get by long enough to like hit the point I needed to in sales. Now that said, I, Think that a 20k loan for the average bear coming out and joining and getting into business is way too much. Um, I would not advise that for most people getting started. Um, I did it because one, it was from a family member, so I knew I could have some leeway on the payback. Two, um, I I I was new to business and I was not new to this job. So I had experience as an operator. I knew it was just gonna be a slow burn. So to me, that 20K was a matter of time and that's it. So as a supplier joining the industry, especially if you sell to advisors, um, like which I do at the time, I only sold to advisors. Um, and it's just, especially back then, like, you know, Networking was really going to trade events, which are expensive, really doing office visits, um, sales calls, like face-to-face. -face. It's a slow burn to get the advisor community to trust you. And then you have to just get that in and get enough people that have worked with you, have a good experience. And then you ride that referral train on out. So I knew it was a matter of time. 
So I wasn't concerned about paying that back and I paid it back, oh, I think over two years. Yeah. So not really that long term of a, of a liability. Um, it also depends on how you feel about Penny. Hold on a sec. Let me let Penny out. She's getting antsy in here. It depends how you feel about money, what your mindset is around money. Um, debt is just a choice to pay things off over time if you are comfortable with that. But that said, I think for most people coming in, if you, especially if you don't have industry experience, like if you don't know for sure uh, how long you're going to be here, just because if you get started six months in, you like, you're like, yeah, no, this isn't for me or what have you. Um, you know, I definitely would recommend taking out a loan of that amount. So yeah, that's my honest feedback on there. I think it just totally, it's, it's real personal. It totally depends. I only, I, I'm not afraid of risk in my business clearly. Um, but I, I take very calculated risks. I knew that that wouldn't be an issue. So I wasn't afraid to to take that risk. And that's why I make money decisions as well. Like when I hired my employee a year ago, even though it didn't work out, um, I knew that for the amount of hours that I wanted her, the rate I was paying her, both paying her directly and paying for the payroll tax, all of that, um, I could have easily um, completely paid her salary for a year without anything changing. Like I already had money in the bank for that. That makes sense. All right. Janelle says, awesome. Thanks so much for sharing. Yeah, I'm similar. Not new to the job, just to business ownership. Yeah. See, I think that makes it a lot different because you know how to do the job. You already know that you want to be in the industry. You know, you're not trying something brand new where you're not sure if you love it. And it's just a matter of like kind of getting established especially for us on the supplier side. Um, it's just a slower burn. It's just a slower burn. But then once you have that referral um, network established, it's a lot like more of a steady growth after that. That was my experience. Uh, Rita says, I've been debating on whether or not to apply for Total Caribbean Loan, oh, the Royal Caribbean Loan to help me out. Uh, How's the interest on that? Um, also, you guys can check and see. Uh, I accepted the EIDL loan uh, last, well, 2020. And um, a lot of small businesses are, you, you're probably eligible for that as well. So I would check the interest of those two things. Me personally, I accepted the loan because I knew it was... There's no penalty to if you pay it back in the first year. Um, I have not spent a dime of it. It's literally sitting in a separate account. Uh, I just want to keep my options open. So that's another thing. If you take out a loan, I would have a very like, what are you going to spend it on? Like, where is that money going? And what ROI, like, what are you getting out of it? Have a very, very clear vision of that before just taking it. I know a lot of people... 
that have uh, like taken out a took out that EIDL and like have spent it already and like you know um, that's I'm, I don't roll like that. Uh, Rita says, "Is that the forgivable loan? The EIDL is not. Um, so the forgivable loan was the PPP, the the payroll protection program." That was forgivable. I didn't do the PPP. I still, I might for 2021. I need to speak to my accountant about it. Because uh, I'm on payroll. I don't have employees, but I am an employee in my business. So I am, uh, I'm payrolled on North and Leisure. Yeah, exactly, Christy. Yeah, so the PPP is forgivable. It's not, uh, I want to say they've, they've just re-released it. I don't know what the new terms are. It was uh, equal to about two and a half months of payroll. Um, you do still have to pay the payroll taxes on that. Um, and then as the um, EIDL is not forgivable. I think it was fairly low interest, um, but there is no penalty for the EIDL to um, pay it back early which was part of my decision to go ahead and take it because now I have it if I need it. I don't currently need it. I don't have a clear, you know, if I were to use any big chunk of it, then I would have to have a very clear vision of like, where is that going? Why do I really need it? Evaluate that. What is the ROI that I need back on that to make that make sense? If I turned it out that I don't want to use it this year, I can pay it all back um, this year without a penalty for paying early. That's the thing with some loans, there is a penalty for early payments because that means that you're not paying like the full, however long the term of the loan is interest, which is what they really want. <laughs> all right, so let's go through our strategy steps and you can keep questions coming through as I go here. Um, okay. Let me get a sip of water. I can't wait till I can like breathe normally again. I feel like I've always just walked up one flight of stairs too many. <laughs> like, it's just like the constant feeling. Um, all right. So strategy of how I would go about making these decisions in your business is step one is dun, 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 budgeting. I know people don't like this. They don't like doing the math in their business. But let me tell you, get in there, get into the numbers. Um, you want to know how much you spend a year or a month, how, whichever way your brain works. I, I tend to think of things... Um, I used to think of things as a monthly cost. Now I, um, how much longer until he's here? A month. I'm at a one month countdown till the baby comes. Well, supposedly a month. I don't know. If he comes early, uh, you know, then he, <laughs> and any any time, any time. Oh, um, shudder. Hello. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Um, yeah, another month left. Ugh, okay. But yeah, get into uh, the numbers of your business. 
Start looking at how much does it cost. Thank you. Um, how much does it cost per month or per year? I tend to think of things per year just because that's how my brain works. I kind of think of it as a season. Um, you know, I know like similar to Rita at the beginning of the year in January is where I'm going to kind of get hit with those bigger costs. Um, but more than just budgeting and knowing what you're going to spend is you really, really, really want to track info in your business. You want to track the numbers, look for patterns, use all of the booking data that you have to and mine that data for patterns in your business. So for me, for Northern Leisure, obviously in a non-pandemic year <laughs> and maybe also a non-insurrection year, I don't know, you know, it's just who's, who's counting, right? Um, if this were 2019 and, and earlier, uh, what was normal for me in a year is uh, I am busiest in Q1. Uh, February and March are my highest booking months of the year. So by the end of March, I have a pretty good handle on what my money is for the year. Like I know if I'm going to hit a goal or if I'm going to fall short. Um, and so I use, I always use that data to inform my other decisions, right? Or I know that, um, for example, if I were to split up by destination, so I sell Ireland and Scotland, as of 2019, which is you know, the last normal data year, 60% uh, of my business was uh, Ireland, 20% was Scotland, 20% was combination Ireland-Scotland. And that's by design. I designed my marketing to match that. Um, I prefer selling more Ireland. So my marketing is heavier on the Ireland stuff. So once you start tracking that data and like really getting in, digging into your patterns, it's not just going to inform your money decisions in terms of what you pay for. It's going to determine what you market when and how you set those sales goals because then you have like real information to track that on. So that would be my first thing. If you haven't started yet, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Get started. Everything you book from now on, start tracking it. I just keep it in a spreadsheet. Super simple. Um, real easy. But other things you can do now is go ahead and figure out that budget. Identify any money leaks, which is stuff that you don't use, don't need, and cancel it. <coughs> you won't believe. You'll find stuff that's like... You know, oh, whoopsie daisy, I've been paying for this for six months to a year and I never log in or I never use it. And you can get rid of that stuff. So once you kind of take a look at that, get a baseline. Uh, one, if you're at a deficit, right? If you're spending more than you're making, then you need to really, that's when you really need to dig in and see what you're spending on. Like what can go and, you know, what do you need to hold off? On purchasing Rita I use so I use QuickBooks for my accounting but for my tracking I just use um, a Google Sheet I have a Google Sheet template I can tell you exactly what's on it let me pull it up I'm not sure why I needed music right there Sorry about that. Oh man. Okay, so the columns of my Google Sheet is I have a booked column and I'm just putting the month booked 
that's so I can filter that column and be like, okay, how much, if I just want to look at February, just want to look at March, right? So that's when I, I can clearly tell what are my highest booking months of the year. And I'm counting that. You can also, if you wanted to have a column on lead, so you can see when you're getting the most leads versus book, I count, I'm like counting when money in hand, I got a deposit. That's the month that goes down. Uh, where to, Ireland, Scotland, or both. Um, the advisor that it comes through, so I can filter, see all the, like anything Heather and I are working on together, can filter it by that. Um, client name, that's just to keep it organized. How many people? Mostly that's to see, I want totals at the end and I am looking for some averages. I'll tell you that part of the end. So I have a, like, how many passengers per sale per trip, the total sale amount, like the gross amount, estimated profit, and then my actual profit. The reason I have two columns for that is because I am taking money in USD and I am paying out in euros or pounds. So I have to account for the exchange rate. Uh, the number of room nights, like, uh, so let's say it's two rooms for a 10 night trip, that's 20 room nights. Uh, and the number of trip nights, so that's just the number of nights per trip. So if it's a 10-night trip, 10 nights. And the reason I put all of that in is because I'm summing it all up at the bottom. And then I am looking for averages because that's giving me uh, like a year at a glance type view. And that's how I'm setting goals for the year ahead. So uh, I look at my total sales. Spoiler alert, I don't actually care what my sales are. I only want to, I only care about my revenue. <laughs> uh, my sales could say the same. If I can make more and sell the same, that's a win. So uh, I look at my total sale, look at my total revenue, um, and then I'm gonna get the averages, like what's the average spend per person? What's the average spend per trip? Average spend per room night? Average spend per trip night? And I want those averages to go up over time, right? Because I, Let's say, if I, like if you're booking 100 trips, the next year, to me, the goal is never book 150 trips. It's, can you make the same amount of money booking 100 trips in the next year? How do you keep the work level the same and the money go up? So that's, what, that's how I set my goals. Um, Chadwell Traveled says, what do you think about investing in workflow implementation? Travel with joy templates, that type of thing. Like I know I do a good job, but I imagine I would learn something. Yeah, I think so that falls into that middle ground, buying templates. I mean, we sell those um, on TPT. We have the workflow bundle. Um, so that, that way you can shortcut it and you're not writing those emails. And that way you copy and paste it into your program. Um, Kareen over at Travel Biz Boss sells email templates also. So that's, a way, that's an easy way to shortcut. Um, and save time versus, it's, so depending on what your budget is, yeah. Like if you wanna be able to like like pay for a travel joy or whatever system you wanna use and jump in there and get it set up but you don't want to write everything or create the workflow yourself, then it's worth investing in. If it makes more sense as far as where you're at in terms of money versus time, then what I would do is first start saving uh, any emails that you write over and over again, creating your own workflow, 
and then invest in the system and put your own in there. There, like, I don't know what I don't know, if that makes sense. That totally makes sense. That totally makes sense. Good stuff. Sorry, I have to go. Yeah, no worries. We're almost, uh, I'll be, I'm wrapping it up. Hello, but buying templates is key. Yeah, so it's an easy way to just shortcut the, shortcut the business and get it, because, like, at the end of the day, most of our workflows are not that different. So you can get... The email template suggested timing so that you just are tweaking put it in your own voice copy paste it put it in automate it all right let's pop back over to our steps uh, so step one yeah that budgeting tracking numbers part of that is learning the difference between what you actually need and what you think you need right Part of this happens to us when we start out because uh, most of us struggle with imposter syndrome or, you know, feeling like we need all the things to feel legitimate in our business. You can get by on very, very little. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to spend for Flowdesk when you can use a MailChimp or MailerLite for free if that's not in your budget. Does that make sense? You're, you're, at the end of the day, what matters is getting clients and selling trips. That is it. If it is not working towards those goals, you can, you can cut it, right? You can bootstrap a lot of stuff without your end client knowing the difference at all. They're not going to know. Like most of your traveler clients are not like, wow, there's, does she use later for scheduling this content? They don't care. They don't care. Uh, so step two, oh, I guess I kind of like already lumped that into step one. So tracking your money, getting your patterns so you can forecast, better understanding your trajectory so that like, you know kind of what your year's looking at. Like I said, for me normally, come February, March, I know how my year's looking, so if I'm about to make a big investment, I, I, I can forecast well enough to spend ahead of where I'm at if I needed to. My third, uh, third tip is find your spending threshold. So for back in my bartending days, we would have a spill tab, meaning you make a drink wrong, you give out a free drink, whatever, and keep track of it. We weren't over, supposed to go over like a certain dollar amount per night. It's essentially like a throwaway. So what's your spill tab? What, what's the threshold of money that you're willing to just like impulse buy? And that's personal. Like, is it $50? Is it $500? I mean, there's definitely been times where I've thrown away a few hundred dollars on something just to be like, eh, you know, I'm, let me try it out. And then later I'm like, yeah, I didn't really need that thing. So find your threshold. And that's going to make decision making a little bit easier. My fourth thing I would do is brain dump everything. If money were no object, what would you have in your business? Get it all out of your head. Visualize that and get it on paper. And, and it can be anything. Is that a scheduler? Is it an assistant? Is it an employee? 
Is it QuickBooks Online? Is it TravelJoy? Is it having, uh, being able to spend 10, 20 grand a year in, in travel yourself for research trips and fams? Like what, if you can, everything that you want to spend on your business, write it all down, get it all out, right? And then you're gonna go back through because step five is to evaluate these things and prioritize them, right? Because if money were no object, yeah, sure. Are you gonna, are you gonna like write out a list and then tomorrow be like, yes, I can pay for all of these things? No, so you're gonna prioritize. Because once you start putting it on paper, you're gonna realize that there's some stuff in there that's like completely doable. And you're also gonna see stuff in there that's more of a long-term play, but you kind of know it's not important right now. So what can you prioritize? What things can you cut? There's always stuff that we think we need that we don't really need that's taking up our time or our money. And that could be anything. Could it be, um, if you think, wow, I need to be on TikTok right now uh, spending X amount of time per day building up a following and marketing my business so that I will be relevant to the generation that is currently on TikTok. If it doesn't make sense for your long term, you don't need to do that. That can just go off the list. Some things just don't need to be done. They don't need to be invested in, whether it's your time or your money. So what can be cut? And what you're going to do as you're evaluating is figuring out your ROI. Everything that you invest in, whether that is dollars, whether that is time, what is what are you getting out of it? What are you getting out of it? Will it directly impact your sales? And if you're just starting and you're like strapped for cash, like you're, you, you need to build up some cash flow in your business, right? The... Focus on the money thing first, right? Because at the end of the day, you gotta get clients, you gotta make sales, you gotta make some money, and then you can start sussing out like other things. But that's gotta be the first one. Um, so what's your ROI? Is it money? Is it gonna make you more sales? To me, that looks like, that can look either direct or it could be that it saves you so much time, it allows you to sell more. For example, for me, that was Travify. That was one of those spends for me. It saves me so many hours um, for like nothing. Uh, I'm on the yearly plan. I think I pay for some of their extra things. I'd have to go back and look, but it's a little under $400 a year. That amount is like, like a drop in the bucket to the hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of time it saves me, which allows me to sell more and do more, right? So that is like, that $400 is nothing compared to the money I can make because I spent that $400. Um, ROI could also be time, again, whether that's to sell more or if you're further along in your business and you just don't wanna be hustling as hard as you previously did, um, and you're making, you know, you're making enough and you're deciding where you want to hit next as far as growth, maybe 
that looks like just more free time to you. So are you getting the ROI on time? And the other thing is other goals, right? So Travel Pro Theory is a great example. When Heather and I started this, it was a passion project, it was a pet project. Um, we created it because we love it. And, um, you know, like Heather this year had to make the decision to step back from TBT because she didn't have enough time and it wasn't, it couldn't fulfill that ROI for her. Uh, for me, it, I'm, it was worth it to me to keep it going. Now, if we were talking just money, like time put in versus money out on this business, it's not hitting that ROI for me. Just full transparency. Absolutely not. Um, I, if, I put, if I took all the time I spent here on Travel Pro Theory and put it all into North and Leisure, that would be more, a more profitable time spend. But it is hitting other goals that I have, and it's filling a passion that I have, and also uh, allows me to show up in other ways like this. It, um, I'm connecting more with other people, uh, which I enjoy in the industry, and it's brought new opportunities. Like before TBT was even a thing, and I would like have my overall goals. Some of those goals look like being an industry leader, being more visible, being published. And now I have all of those things. So it hit a different ROI for me that wasn't money. <coughs> Excuse me. So part of it is just like being clear on like what your goals are, like what those buckets look like, time, money, visibility, whatever it is to you personally. And then everything that you invest in, whether that's time because you're bootstrapping or money where you're outsourcing, what is it giving back to you? And if it is not giving back to you, it's gotta go. <laughs> it's, if it is not like serving a bigger purpose for you, just nix it, you know? There's nothing that you have to do in your business. The only thing, it, the only thing your business has to have in order to be a business is clients. You got clients, they're happy, you're good. The rest is all personal decisions. That's it. That's it. So those are my steps. I hope this all has made sense. We've kind of jumped around a little bit today. Do you guys have any last questions? Anything else you want to go over before we uh, wrap it up for the day? Check my notes to see if there's anything else. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah. That's it. If you guys don't have anything else, I guess we are good. Um, as always, I'm happy to be an open book on uh, talking this stuff out. Um, if we want to do it again, we absolutely can. Whether we stay on money or just talk more on... Uh, any of the other parts, like with outsourcing in particular. I'd say personally, I'm at, a, I'm kind of at a middle ground myself. I am not fully handing things off totally yet. I am in a, I'm, I'm not bootstrapping either, but I'm in a middle ground where like, um, there's, I definitely am paying people for their expertise, my accountant <laughs> especially, uh, 
and also, um, you know, services as needed um, and hiring help here and there when I need it, but not, you know, I'm, I'm not out of the day-to-day -day operations of my business by any means. Yeah, oh, you guys are very welcome. Okay, cool. All right, y'all, it's been real. I will um, see you again on the next one, on our next, our next live, next stories. We'll do this again. Have a good day.